Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights Hobby Hotline outtake from June 26th. Live weekly call-in show, multiple hosts, Jeremy Lee quarterbacking and Jeff uh, Deafness45 uh, there and me too. I proposed a couple of interesting uh, what-ifs, not to stump anybody, but just ways to think about how the national would be even more interesting if some of these what-ifs happened. I didn't mean any uh, offense making light of COVID because I know some people have have lost lives. But at this point, it looks quite a bit under control. When you get it, it's not a death sentence for 99.9% of the people. Hopefully, it's moving more toward being like the the flu. I apologize if I offended anybody, but here are the outtakes from Hobby Hotline. And thanks sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, and ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Jeremy, yeah. I got a what if. Yeah. Okay, so we're all at the National. We're there. It's Sunday. And all of a sudden, there's an, a massive outbreak of COVID. Oh. What they do is they say, okay, you're going to have to shelter in place for the next 14 days inside the Donald Stevens Convention Center. No one can leave. No one can come in. We'll give you food. But for the next two weeks, you're going to have to stay sheltered in place at the show. <laughs> Sounds like heaven, Jim. Now, again, I'm uh, hoping nobody's going to get violently ill. But if there's an outbreak, what are they going to do? Even one, the contact tracing. It's going to be a two-week hobby party is what it's going to be. Enough money and maybe got an extra loan or something <laughs> so we can make it through. You're money getting, and deodorant. You have to. We have yeah, that. We'll be fine. You, you tell your wife, I'm forced to stay at the show for two weeks. <laughs> she would say, yeah, we're getting a divorce. You're lying. Yeah. I mean, you're going off with your buddies somewhere else to some other show or something. That's an interesting what if. And obviously, there'd be all sorts of uh, repercussions. But the first thing that came to mind to me, Jim, and you said is heaven, that'd be heaven. I mean, <laughs> you know, when I'm at card shows, I'm watching the clock. And as the hours tick by, all I can think about is it's getting closer to ending. I get more and more sad that it's coming to an end, whether it's six months till the next big one for the Expo in Toronto or a year to the National. Sunday rolls around, last day. Okay, one whole day left. Three o'clock comes. I'm like, oh, no, it's almost over. The, yeah. the show's almost over. It's so sad. I just love being at these things. Don't rush into buying cards and singles and stuff. Don't When you get in there, if there's a certain card you're looking at, you see it right then and there, and it's your first day there, don't jump on it. Be patient, especially if you're going to be there like up through almost the end, because as the days go on, you're probably going to end up getting a better price if that card is still sitting there. Yeah. Let me qualify that suggestion, Jeff, because I've been saying the opposite, but I think we need to qualify and we're both on the same mind path here. If it's not a rare card, then sure. You know, right. if it's a high pop sort of card that you need because for whatever reason, yeah, I completely agree with you. They, they always throw it out there, Luca Prism Base, but right. or, or a Jordan rookie or a Gretzky rookie. There's going to be no shortage of these cards. But if it's a rare card that you really want or, or dare I say need for your PC... You need to jump on it before someone else does because it likely won't be there the next right. time you circle around. There's certain cards that are buyer's market type cards and certain cards that are seller's market cards. If it's yeah. extra rare, extra difficult, the person that has it can set their price and be patient if they want to be. But if it's a commoditized card, yeah, I agree, Jeff. Again, yeah. on Sunday, there's going to be a lot of competition all this talk about being able to rub shoulders and interact with people that you normally wouldn't. You're someone recognizable in the hobby. When you're at the National, typically, do you get approached by people that just want to say hi to you, that want to meet you, that want to shake your hand? You created the magazine. Your name was recognizable. But I don't know that I actually knew what you looked like back then. How have your experiences been that way in prior years? Do you expect to change this year? 
like a, a mask or a disguise? No, not you. <laughs> no, I'm not looking to meet every person there, but I'm doing my own stuff. I'm bumping into you know people, but they're bumping into me too. I'm I'm happy. I'll do an occasional selfie or sign a card or something. But I'm a hobbyist now, so I want to enjoy the hobby, and I love meeting other collectors. I've had some very interesting interactions. If I'm sitting around uh, looking at cards, somebody will just pull up a chair and look at the same box and we'll talk and then we'll visit or we'll walk around together a little bit. It, it's hard to describe, Jeremy. There's no one size fits all. Some people want to ask me a whole bunch of questions and I, I don't really want to re-answer questions I'm answering in the podcast that are basic <laughs> questions. On the other hand, I want to be friendly. During the day at the show, I'm looking at cards and meeting new friends. Whereas in the evenings, I'm more going out to dinner with my old friend. I've had some uh, listeners that say, hey, I want to take you out to dinner. That's great, except that I don't really know you. I, I wouldn't mind knowing you better, but I I'm not going to go out to dinner with another dude that I don't know in a strange town. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with some of my buddies that have already got something set up, the guys I've known for decades. So no partiality other than I'm going to be there during the day and I'm going to enjoy the whole thing. At the Dallas show last month, you held a, a bit of a think tank. You used it for some content for your podcast. And I know that myself and others enjoyed listening and being able to be a fly on the wall in those conversations you had with other content creators. Anything like that planned for the national this year? One of the reasons I did that because nobody else was doing it. I think at the national, it, it's too big to do one thing. So I think there'll be a whole bunch of things that are a little bit like that. So I don't want to take away the initiative of others. The event there, it, it just got big fast in that we've overwhelmed the room that we were in and the acoustics and not everybody really had a chance to chime in. If it had been a little bit smaller, it had been more of a think tank. As it was a great meetup, an opportunity, I met some new people. Everybody met some new people. We'll probably do it again, but it's a lot easier logistically to do it here in Dallas than in the national when you just don't know who's going to show up or it might be too successful. It's yeah. like you're saying, this trade night, you know, a thousand people there. That's that was a different playing. kind of event. We're talking a lot about the National, about our excitement for it. But Victor has a comment here that kind of takes a different spin. He says, for the National, do you think traditional negotiation strategies will work? Do you think prices will not be as flexible the first couple of days? It's the same thing you already said. Yeah. There's tough cards and easy cards. Who's got the leverage? Who's got the upper hand? If it's a tough card and, yeah, and you're the seller, but I do think there's going to be an amazing amount of flexibility over the course of the show. What we've seen more and more, that prices move fast. If something is not selling, these uh, dealers who want to hold the line and are not going to be flexible, they could be going home Sunday with the same stuff. Yeah. They've got to read the room. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And those, those particular dealers, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here that people who are going to be very stuck on their prices, especially if the prices do not reflect recent market valuations, I, I wonder if those are going to be dealers who have been around a really long time, maybe been to the national before, or might be newer in the hobby over the past year and maybe got caught up in the bull market or the height of the market in uh, that January, February, March. Some people paid a lot for cards and they're going to have trouble locking in a loss if they bought those cards earlier this year. But that's going to be a small portion, I believe, of the vendors. So Jim, are the vendors you've dealt with going to be like that? Are you expecting any of them to be that way? No, the problem is some of the vendors there only do that in one show. So they're not right. as uh, digitally savvy necessarily. They know some of their cards, but they just do one show a year. So they're not tuned in to everything. And this will be the first year there'll be a situation where the comps are not such that more recent is better. 
because yeah. for certain cards, you're not going to want to think about the last couple of months. You're going to want to go back to February or March for the high price, and you're going to just look at that. Whereas before, the dealer always had the advantage because he or she wanted to use the most recent comp. Now, maybe not always. And so if you're a buyer, you also have to increase your knowledge base to really know, is this a tough card or an easy card? The other problem is if you go on Wednesday and the guy has a card for $1,000 and you say, you take less, he says no. If you go back Thursday, you say, will you take less? And he says no. You go back Friday and you say, we'll take less. And he says no. What you've done inadvertently is encourage him that you really want that card. Yeah. <laughs> and so he may not ever want to discount it it's, for you. And so crazy. you're pointing yeah. out that you really want that card and you'd right. you, you're just trying to get a deal. So on Sunday, it's probably still a thousand and you may whip out your wallet or your phone or your credit card. You're talking about not recent comps on some of this stuff going back in like February. Are you referring more to in season, out of season, depending upon sports and stuff? We see a lot of that too with some people when they're hesitant on selling a car for a certain price or you ask to get to buy it at a different price. I'm expressly not referring to that. In fact, I think the in season, out of season, so many people are tuned into that now. Yeah. I don't think that matters. As much. Jer Jeremy yeah. had a segment about how February and early March of 2021 were the peak for certain glamour cards. The Jordan rookies, they're at a, a lower level now. The base now has found a different level. So that's what I'm talking about. Cards that mm -hmm. are not a hard card, but it's a glamour card. There's no longer any sure things that these cards are going to go up every month. Some of them have peaked. Right. New topic. It's got to be challenging deciding what cards to submit for grading. I believe that it's going to be a lot different this year. My understanding, PSA is only going to be doing the $300 service level at show only grading. No drop-offs for them to take back to their facility to grade to ship back to you. That's been the service I've used pretty much every national. I save up all year. I take my cards to their booth. I drop them off and they ship them back to me at some point in the next several months. Very nice service. I like to physically drop them off and pass them over to them. Even the lineup, it fills up goes all the way back, basically the whole span of the convention center. This year, are we going to have lineups that are the same length, even though only one service level price, which is $300 a card? Any predictions? Jeremy, in our industry, everybody loves a line. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. they, if they yeah. see a line, they're going to get right? in, it's for, whether it's for an autograph or for a, 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 a rapper redemption or being in line for the grading. So it, it, it draws a crowd. If there's nobody in line, I'll be shocked. There has to be a line because that's part of the marketing. <laughs> it's true. You can walk around the show. I've been waiting in lines and a group of people, a family will walk by and they'll say, what's going on? Why are you in line? It's almost a FOMO thing. What might they be missing out on? The hobby is so reactionary. And I don't think that's ever going to change. As sophisticated and experienced as we become by just being around the hobby more and watching trends, our human nature, we just can't resist what have you done for me lately phenomenon? The hobby is both reactionary and anticipatory. It's all mixed up for everybody that says he had a bad game. I'm going to sell. There's uh, some that say he had a bad game. I'm buy now. It's, yeah, he's it's back, very right? difficult to predict what's going to happen because Trey has a great game than a bad game. The next game, his detractors are going to think, I'm going to get rid of him. He's on the outs now. Others are going to say, hey, he's got him right where he wants him. Let me give you another what if. This is apocalyptic or catastrophic. So now, same deal. We're at the National. We're all locked in there. And mm. there's an EMP. <laughs> all the internet goes out. You're there in the show. And everybody's there. And you have no connectivity to the outside world. Okay. Oh, what wow. would that be like? 
And because there's such a dependency on being able to have a, a really strong connection, but you get in some of these very dense environments at a stadium or something where everybody's going to the internet at the same time, unless there's internet backbone, whatever it is, you, you can be sitting there grinding and not getting anything. So if you were at the national and you can't connect to the internet, what are you going to do? And that, then hopefully the, somebody's the, got a backhand stand. There. I'm saying you know, that would be a possibility or any other thing where you have top of, we're very dependent on being able yeah. to connect quickly and get yeah. what we want. It's not the same as knowledge. It's, I don't know it, but I can look it up. Well, if you can't look it up and you don't know it, you're at a disadvantage. It's one thing to know what the most recent auction comp is, but it's another thing to know the trend that led to it, because that's where you can really uh, set yourself apart from a knowledge perspective from other buyers or sellers who are really just looking at the last couple of sales. It's nice to have a, a broader time horizon of of not only the data, but also just the, the gut feel of where things have been, where they may go. We can't predict the future, but I think the more experience and knowledge and the, the more research you do into cards you want to own are looking to purchase, you're going to have an advantage compared to those who don't. I follow the Michael Jordan market pretty closely, the rare stuff. There's been really no depression of that market since the high water point of February 2021. Those cards just keep going up in value because there's so many people that want to own those cards. If you want one, you have to overpay, but you might have to set a new record. Is that overpaying? I don't. I think we can really say that it, you're not overpaying every time you set a record. Well, they're, um, they're way more beautiful than the Michael Jordan rookie, and they're way less plentiful than the Michael Jordan rookie. Even the scarcest ones, PMGs being an exception, are way cheaper than a Michael Jordan rookie card that you see all the time. Yeah. For co rare cards, a PSA authentic, a non-graded PMG Michael Jordan will still sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So is it a quality card? Sure. Might really have great eye appeal, but it might just have that PSA authentic designation, which let's face it, when we look at cards, we do look to the label in a slab and that does detract from the overall satisfaction. Just like a nine has less satisfaction than a 10 for most people, but you have to pay for rare cards of players who are widely collected and widely invested in nowadays. The man in the house.